Thank you for listening to the Bible preaching ministry of Dr. Tim Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. It is a blessed Lord's Day, another one. What a joy it has been to have such an exciting summer, and it is quickly passing. And now we are getting ready for a fantastic fall serving our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Nothing is more exciting and wonderful than that. Now today's message is message number two in perhaps the most relevant and needed of all of the sections of our Savior's epic sermon on the mount. And so I ask for your full attention as we go through this passage. There's a lot of moving parts today, and so uh, it will be necessary for you to really focus. Sermon on the Mount. Our message today is entitled, Stay Alert for False Teachers. Everybody has walked up to a house or buy a house and has seen a sign that may say, beware of a dog. Now, when you walk by a house and you see a sign like that, what do you do? Well, if you're smart, you'll be on guard. And uh, you can see one there, one wise guy put that sign up. I like it. The truth of the matter is, when you go by a sign that says, beware of the dog, you're asking yourself, is he chained up? Is he behind a fence? Should I even go by there? Whatever action you take, here's the point. A beware sign sensitizes you. Today, I want you to be sensitized. Now, as we go through this passage, and as we talk about false teachers, I don't want you to be cynical, but I do want you to be confidently mindful that false teaching is not just once in a while, it is everywhere. In fact, Jesus said very clearly in the last days, which of course we're in, God said many will go that way. I want you to imagine for a few moments you're on vacation, or you're out of town, you're visiting a church, and I want you to, as you're beginning to look at the website or go by, I want you to see a sign that says, beware of wolves. I want you to, as you're getting on the website, uh, to have a pop-up screen that says, beware, what you're about to view could uh, hurt you for the rest of your life. It could permanently damage the morals of your family. If you're about ready to look at a book, I hope that you'll see the warning label on the outside that says, be very cautious how you proceed. Beware of wolves. Centuries ago, our concerned Lord, in the greatest single sermon ever, took precious time out of his sermon to do something that some would think sounds rather negative. Now, it's been full of positive things, but he is coming towards the end of the message. And he's afraid that all the good work that's been done is going to be lost because of false teaching. And so Jesus says, beware. Now, when Jesus says, beware, I think we ought to beware. If a sign I drive by and says, beware, well, I will certainly think about that. But when Jesus says it, I'm telling you what, I'm going to beware. In fact, he said, the reason you have to beware is because not only is false teaching dangerous, but it is deceptive. And that's what makes it so dangerous. It's not that you see a wolf 
It's that you see a sheep. Or, as we understood it, you actually see a shepherd. You see a prophet with a sheep's mantle on. One saying that he is a, someone who is from God. Satan loves religion. He loves it. What Satan is opposed to is biblical Christianity. In fact, we know that during, the Bible tells us that during the tribulation period, there is a three-pronged attack. There is a political attack. There is a satanic attack. And there is a religious attack. There is the false prophet, the antichrist, and the beast. And all together, these three. So one-third of what happens in the end times is related to religion. When asked about the last days, Jesus didn't mince any words. In Matthew chapter 24, verse number 1, he said, Well, I'll tell you what the last days will be like. Many false prophets. Many. Not just once in a while. Many. And what's even worse is, it'd be one thing if there were many false prophets. If they didn't do anything, well, that'd be one thing. But they will deceive many. We then must not be unwise. The Apostle Paul warned the Ephesian church. He said, let's be understanding. In Ephesians 5.17, let's be understanding what the will of the Lord is. Warnings. That's what we're talking about this morning. Finding one of her students making faces at another student on the playground, Mrs. Smith stopped to gently reprove the child. Smiling sweetly, the school teacher said, Bobby, when I was a child, I was told that if I made ugly faces, it would freeze and I would stay like that. Bobby looked up at Mrs. Smith and replied, Well, Mrs. Smith, you can't say you weren't warned. <laughs> well, after these two weeks of going through these messages on false teaching, I hope that you'll be able to say you weren't, say, can't say that you weren't warned. We're going to be warned today about false prophets. Let's all bow our heads for a word of prayer and let's ask God's mind on this matter. Father, I thank you for this uh, very crucial passage. Lord, help us to be aware. Help us to be sensitized, Lord, and not cynical. Help us, Lord, just to be mindful. And I pray that you'll give us grace to receive it today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's go to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to read these verses together. We are told in Scripture that the public reading of the Bible is something that churches should do, and so we're going to follow that advice. And so let's begin at verse 15, and we'll read through verse number 20. And so let's read it out loud together. Ready? Begin. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. False teachers, false prophets come in all kinds of packages. On the outside, the packaging's all different, always slick and nice. But one thing is the same when you unwrap that package. What's on the inside is the heart of a devil. Two weeks ago, we talked about wrong roads. We spoke of the fact that in life, each of us come to a fork in the road. Jesus said, there is a fork in the road, and there is a sign on the one side that says destruction this way, and the other one says life. The surprising thing is, most people, strikingly so, most people pick the road that says destruction. There's reasons for it. It's bigger. It's wider. It seems more traveled. 
there's, uh, it's easier. It's kind of go with the flow. The road less traveled, the narrow way that leads to life. Well, uh, even though it's wonderful, it's just far fewer go on that road. Now, the question we might ask ourselves is this. Why would people knowingly pick the wrong road? Jesus follows up that by saying, here is why they do. Because they have well-spoken, well-dressed, brilliant people who are standing in front of them saying, this road, the broad road is a wonderful road. Take it. It's beautiful. It'll be great for you. And so when you have so many people choosing that road, the masses are going that way. The media all promotes that. And when you have false teachers saying, of course it's the right way. Everybody knows this is the right way. Then there's, you see why there is so much destruction. Sociologists tell us that there are 4,300 religions in the world. 4,300 religions and growing. Now a skeptic might hear that and say, ah, that just shows you all religions are man-made. Others, maybe even more deceived, say, they're all true. There is no one single faith that is correct. Now, all of us, just by simple reasoning and common sense, can say not all religions can possibly be true. And it doesn't mean that there's not something that's true. Imagine for a few moments that you're in a college classroom, you're in a math class, and uh, one of those brilliant professors decides to give one of those uh, math equations. I remember chasing X for months, and I rarely found it. But whenever I did find it, it was a eureka moment. But imagine you have one of those pesty math teachers who's going to give 100 students this very difficult math question. And these are all smart people, and yet most of them get it wrong. Now, does that mean then that there's no right answer? No. Does that mean that everybody is right? No, of course not. There is a right answer. What is needed in that situation? What is needed is tools, the formulas, the equations to get to the right answer. That's what Jesus offers us. He said, all right, I'm going to give you a toolbox and in your toolbox is going to be all these wonderful tools that you can know. You don't have to wonder. You can actually know who is and what is false teaching. And so last week, I'm going to do a little review here. Last week, we found that there are three categories of false prophets spoken of in Scripture. First of all, there are heretics. Heretics make no bones about it. They openly defy the truth. The pastor Titus was reminded that a man that is a heretic should be rejected, not included, not valued for his opinion, not even considered in any way what they have. No, rejected. Now, God has given us two ways he has revealed himself to humanity. How do we know who God is? How do we even know about God? Well, first of all, he's given us general revelation. General revelation is scientific evidence, you might say. Or uh, it is by studying nature. We would say creation. Psalm 19 says, the heavens or nature, um, the atmosphere, the, the heavenlies, declare God. They declare the glory of God. Just by common reasoning, scientific evidence, there is the incredible design of nature points to a single intelligent origin. No possible way did all that this happen by some cosmic collaboration of a thousand deities or a million deities or Pastor Mike reminds us how many there are in the Hindu world, you know, millions or something like that of gods. And so really, all of polytheism, many gods, can be pretty much gotten rid of. 
as well as the no-God people like secular humanists, even Buddhists, who say there is no God. And so when you get rid of all the polytheistic religions, then you can boil things down to the monotheistic religions or one God. Now, there are several of those, but there are only three major. Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. And within Christianity, there are several. And so, what we have now is the need for special revelation. I'm going to look at that chart in a minute. We need now special revelation. We have general revelation, and then now we need special revelation. We need the written source documents. And so let's go to the Muslim faith, first of all. They have what's known as the Quran. I think it means revealed or something like that. Really, even a, uh, if you can even read it and get through it, it's uh, chaotic in its reading, unintelligible in many places, questionable ethics, historical and scientific inaccuracy. The fact of the matter is the book is seriously compromised. And if that is the holy book of that religion, then first of all, both special or both the general and special revelation says that can't be correct. Then you have Judaism. Judaism rejects the entire New Testament. That flawless, incredible document of books that no reputable scholar even remotely even suggests in any way. There are too many historical, archaeological, and anthropological validations of the New Testament. It spoke of, speaks of the resurrection. There are so many things. And so to reject the entire New Testament, how could that possibly then be a correct and a religion from God? And so now we're down to just one major religion, Christianity, of which I mentioned there are several little parts about that. Let me see that chart again. Apologist Josh McDowell had a very helpful, simple chart here. And you can see that uh, in, um, let's see on this side here, Buddhism, they have no God, and uh, their path to salvation is enlightenment. Hinduism, many gods, and you have their path to salvation. Islam is uh, Allah, and they have the five pillars. Judaism, Yahweh, and you go by the law. Christianity is has one God who is known as three, and then it is the plan of salvation is grace. Now, it's interesting, and I love what Dio Moody said about Christianity and all other religions. Only two letters separates Christianity from all other religions in the world. Because every other religion in the world is a variation of the word do. D-O. Do something. Whatever it be. Obey the five pillars. Follow the law. Do this or that. Do. Only Christianity is done for us. It is by grace. D-O-N-E. Done. And so... It is a special revelation. One thing we should remember about all this, one of the earmarks of a cult or a non-Christian religion is that they have their own special revelation. They have their own book. For example, the Mormons have something called the Book of Mormon, and I think another book, the Apostles and Doctrines or something like that. Roman Catholicism has the Apocrypha. The Seventh-day Adventists have the writings of Ellen Wright. And the Jehovah's Witnesses have the teachings of Charles Taze Russell. In fact, in the, in the early days, the Jehovah's Witnesses were called the Russellites. And so when a group has its own writings that's not Scripture or that's extra-biblical, then we can already, the little uh, beware sign is coming in our mind. The next group of not only heretics, but then there are apostates. An apostate actually knows the truth, but they reject it. They reject it because for some reason they don't want to do it in their life. First Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. 
Unfortunately, there's a huge proliferation of people that are not only departing, and if that was all they did, it would be sad, but you know, you'd at least be able to say, well, every man, you know, that's the path you choose. But unfortunately, these are predatory. And that's exactly why Jesus called them wolves. They're not just a cow that just eats grass. They are wolves. They are hunters. And they don't like it to just know that they're the only ones going the wrong way. They try to get others to go that way themselves. They are deliberately and specifically grooming others and usually young people and even children. And that's why, my friend, I, along with so many others, are so disturbed by groups like Disney who now openly are trying to groom children into immorality. They are deceivers. They never come out about the truth. Now, we have heretics and apostates, and number three, we have deceivers. And they are the most deadly of all because they are in shepherd's clothing. They are presenting themselves as someone who can be trusted. They wear a shepherd's mantle, a sheep mantle, to say they're a teacher. Last week we talked about five false gospels within the evangelical church. We won't take time to go over that because we have so much to cover. But you can get the podcast, and uh, several people said, man, that was a lot to cover last week. It was. Well, and I hope that you'll uh, get that and listen to that. Now today, let's go back to verse 15. Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Wolves. Wolves often hunt in groups. They find each other somehow, and then they, as a pack, go after often single ones. Wolves, when the scent of blood is uh, 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 smelled, they go after, especially when they sense that one is wounded, maybe through some problem in their life, maybe some immorality, and so wolves then pounce on them. And wolves are vicious. Sometimes, in fact, they seemingly kill just for the love of killing and not really to even eat the animal. Many, several in our church have sheep and others have chickens and others, and they have experienced coyotes and other predators, in fact, even wolves, that have just done nothing more than just slit the throat of a little lamb and then just leave it there. They are vicious, terrible to do something like that. And so last week we talked about a caution to beware. We must see them. It's a universal fact. They're out there. Now today, we're going to continue our outline. An unselfish forewarning. Thank God for our Savior. He said, beware. He said, beware. The word beware is hold your mind back. That means don't even expose your mind to them. Do not allow yourself or your family to be victimized. Be always on the lookout for false teaching because they're slick, they're sophisticated, and they are skilled at deceptive advertising at its best. And if you get too near a false prophet, they will get inside your head. First of all, they get inside your head through the use of earworms. I'll call them worship worms. These little clever sound bites get inside your brain and start eating away. Jesus uh, used uh, these uh, little short, uh, pithy sentences, for example, and they're good uh, and they're powerful, but they have to be interpreted correctly. Jesus said, for example, he said, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, pull it out, pluck it out. Well, we went through that and we know what he was talking about. But, you know, just a surface looking at that, we would have a lot of dismembered and crazy looking people out there with no eyeballs. And so even the teaching of our Lord must be interpreted correctly. There are worship worms that are out there in the world, little sound bites, little sentences that get inside of people's brain. For example, there's a popular false gospel out there known as the prosperity gospel. 
sometimes called the name it and claim it group, they say this sentence, if you can believe it, faith can achieve it. A good statement, in a sense. Yes, faith is amazing. It can achieve anything. But no, nobody dictates to God what's going to happen. And my faith, the problem is with that group is they have faith in faith, not faith in God. And my faith needs to be in Him. And so be careful of worship worms that get inside the brain. There is also brain balms. There are worship worms and brain bombs, I'm calling them. These are time-release capsules that get in there, and seemingly at first, they seem nothing. For example, you might have seen or heard the statement, all love is love. All love is love. Of course, they're trying to justify immorality. But at the time, you hear that, and you don't feel affected by it. But then, in a moment of weakness vulnerability, bitterness maybe, or perhaps you're watching some emotional movie and two same-sex people or whatever kind of immoral thing goes on and you begin to remember that, well, all love is love. It's just love. But my friend, those worship worms and those brain bombs both are used so effectively and terribly by false prophets. That's exactly why John clarified the best plan in 2 John chapter 1. He said the best plan, just give them a wide berth. Just intentionally avoid false teaching. In verse 10, if there are any coming to you and bring not this gospel, this doctrine, the word of God, don't even receive him into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. And they'll come with Bibles, they'll come with everything else under the sun. They'll sit down with you and They'll say, we just want to talk about, want to have a Bible study, just want to talk about things about God. God said, do not even bid them Godspeed. The word Godspeed there is just an English contraction of the word God be with you. It'd be like saying, may God give you good success in what you're doing. Meaning, basically, don't even give them common courtesy. Now, of course, we're not ever supposed to be unkind or hateful to people. We love people and we want to help them. But the fact of the matter is, we cannot be faithful to the truth of Scripture and bid them any success. In fact, verse 11 says, if you bid them Godspeed, then you actually become a partaker of their evil deeds. The Bible says that we ought to try to discourage what they're doing. And many times I will tell if they, a few times that they've actually come to my door. I, don't, I think somehow some of those have, check me off their list or something, but uh, a few times they have come to my door, I will say I would appreciate it if you would not go here in my neighborhood, and for that matter, any neighborhood, <laughs> and uh, to not even bid them Godspeed, because we don't want our neighbors or anybody else getting that false gospel. We cannot be true and faithful to God and enemies of truth at the same time. Notice what he said, beware. That means hold your mind back from them. You'd say, well, I think we ought to listen to everybody's opinion. You're wrong. We should not listen to everybody's opinion because it's not their opinion that matters. It's God's opinion that matters. Solomon learned an expensive lesson in this. In Proverbs 29 and verse 25, the fear of man or caring about their opinions brings a snare, a trap. If you care about other people's opinions, you're going to be trapped in them. But whoso puts his trust in the opinions of God will be safe. Trust yourself in the Lord. You'd say, well, they're good people. Yes, they may be good people on the outside. And in fact, they may be uh, good people in the community. But there's a big difference between your earthly goodness and your heavenly, eternal goodness. That is something that comes only by being born again. Nicodemus was a good man. Jesus said, you are a good man, but you're not going to go to heaven. What? No. You must be born again. If you're not born from above, then you'll never see the kingdom of heaven. That's a strong thing, but the fact of the matter is, we're not saying that people that are part of one religion are bad. 
Many are very good, but that doesn't mean they're born again or they're on their way to heaven. Early in the 70s, I got my first car. It was a 1963 Volkswagen, very similar to the one I have now. I have a 58 one now. I've had it for many years. Well, when I got that 1963, a ragtop, air-cooled car, uh, one day I was looking at the small little odometer there, the speedometer, and they have two little lights at the bottom, a red one and a yellow one. And one of them came on, and I went to the nearby mechanic, and I said, uh, do I need to be concerned about these uh, lights here, or what are they? And he chuckled. He said, yeah, he said, those are idiot lights. I said, idiot lights? He said, yeah, these cars are so built so um, economically, they don't have gauges. So you can't know when it's overheating or your oil pressure is low. It's just when it is, the light comes on. The yellow light for the cooling and the red light for the oil. And so uh, I said, okay, well, I'll try to watch out for that. And so initially, I took his warning to heart. I watched him, but after a while, I just figured, well, I, I wonder if that's really true or not. Well, one day, that yellow light came on, the cooling light, meaning the fan belt broke or something like that, but it wasn't being, the air wasn't going over the cylinders. It was going to get hot. I know that now. I figured when I was, saw that idiot light, it really probably didn't really mean anything. I could certainly drive down the road a bit and get to the mechanic, but unfortunately, I found out why they are named idiot lights. It was a very expensive lesson. My point, warnings mean something. And friends, when you hear something amiss and the Holy Spirit flips on the idiot light, then it is time to pull over. A caution to beware. See them. Number two, a consideration to behold. Know them. First, you have to see them, and then you have to know them. Many of us uh, would feel like, well, I think I know. I feel like I could figure that out. But we may not realize that we may not be able to figure out like we imagine. Several years ago, there was a uh, false teacher by the name of David Koresh. He was a leader of an apocalyptic religious sect in Waco, Texas. About 80 of his followers ended up dying in a compound because of his false teaching. We're going to come back to that. And they actually did an interview with some of the ones who had been under his teaching. And we'll see if we can figure it out. But in dealing with these uh, false teachers and deceivers, we must look deeper than what we see on the surface. You'll notice Jesus didn't say, watch out for false teaching, but good luck figuring out who they are. Let's look at verse 16. You shall know. Thank the Lord. He said, you can know them. How do you know them? He said, you know them by their fruits. What are you meaning? Well, he said, men don't gather grapes from thorns, neither do you find figs on thistle bushes. It doesn't work that way. It says by their fruits. Again, for double emphasis in verse 20, Jesus emphasized it again. Wherefore, by their fruits, you shall know them. There's an old proverb that says like root, like fruit. A tree is judged by its fruit. If you want to know what a prophet is like, then look at the fruit that they produce. And so look at the grapes that they have very closely in verse number 16. It said, if you look closer, you'll see that somebody took grapes and stuck it on a thorn bush. It's not really coming from a grape vine. It's coming from a thorn bush. And if you look closely at that fig, you'll see that it was just stuck on a thistle bush. Meaning, you have to look closer than just a surface look. You, it, looks, it may look really much like a, like a grapevine, but it's not the same. You have to look closely. How then do we look closer? Let me give you three specific things to look for in being a fruit inspector. Number one, by the fruit of their deeds. What kind of actions characterize them? What kind of lifestyle do they have? What are their behavior like? 
During the ministry of John the Baptist, in Luke chapter 3, here's what John the Baptist said. He said, bring forth fruit. If you're correct, he was telling the false teachers, if you, you say you're with God, then let me see your fruit. Let me see that you've truly repented. If you're really saved, we'll know it. You're going to love the Word of God. You're going to love Jesus. You're going to love prayer. You're going to love to give to the Lord's work. You're going to love to see the church grow. You're going to love spiritual things. The bold apostle Peter even said it more boldly. 2 Peter chapter 2, and verse 19, he said, False teachers promise liberty. Now, we're not talking about true Christian liberty, which is the kind of actions that make you a wise servant of God. No, he's talking about a license which destroys our effectiveness. He said, they promise you liberty. Do whatever you want. But they themselves are servants of corruption. If you look deeper, you look past surface, you'll see that the fruit that they have in their life is a grape stuck on a thorn. For of whom a man is overcome... The same is in bondage. They're actually slaves to their own lust. If you look closer, those men, if they're a man, will probably be affected by the three F's. Females, of course you can't say that anymore, I guess, but females, finances, and fame. Those three things, if you look closer, you'll find that a false prophet will likely have an issue with that. They, will put on, they may put on a shepherd's cloth, but it's a ruse. It's been said that nothing is more difficult to counterfeit than virtue. Now, the Bible gives several checklists. One of them is, uh, or two of them actually, are for what's known as a pastor, a bishop, an elder, all the same office. Those are found in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. By combining those together, I'm going to summarize them and give you nine qualifications, fruit, to look for, of their behavior. Number one, a false teacher would uh, be someone, or a good teacher, someone who is above reproach, respectable, blameless, not perfect, of course, but uh, they're upright in their character. They have a practical holiness, free from moral compromise. They're known as a person of integrity. They're temperate, a disciplined person, um, they're able to control. They don't have vices, certainly not drunk or, uh, or a drug addict. Hospitable. They're warm and welcoming to people. Not quarrelsome. doesn't mean you can't be a warrior for the Lord. It just means not an angry, bitter person. Faithful to his wife. By the way, uh, many people feel like that this particular uh, passage, along with 1 Timothy 2, assumes that it can't be a woman who can be a pastor. But the point is, that man is not a womanizer. And then a good father, if he's married, knows how to manage the family, not saying the kids are all perfect, of course, but his leadership is real clear. Able to teach God's Word. I don't think there's anything wrong with hollering as long as you make sure that what you are hollering about is something worth shouting about. But I think that what's important is that you're teaching Sound, systematic, accepted doctrine. Not always just jumping on the latest doctrinal bandwagon. Not in it for the money. Not just in it for the money. Nothing wrong with sinful about getting paid or even getting paid well. Several of God's most choice servants have been millionaires. Billy Graham, W.A. Criswell. But it is important to note that they were also great givers, both of their money and of their time. And always that money was a byproduct. It wasn't what they went after. Maybe they had a book or maybe someone gave them a gift and W.A. Criswell, I think it was investments. But the fact of the matter is, uh, it's not the main product. It just happens. And so if it does, then praise the Lord. But they're not just in it for the money. Not a new convert. It doesn't mean you can't be young. It just means... Someone who is experienced with the things of God. They have some spiritual whiskers, as it were. Now let's go back to David Koresh and his followers. They interviewed many of his former followers who didn't part of that uh, Waco tragedy. 
And here's some of the things they said. They said he claimed that he memorized the entire Bible. Probably was bright, but often unstable. He said he was God. Now, friends, if someone say they're God or they're the prophet of God, that's pretty much a sign to run. That's like when you, Joseph Smith or the Pope who says he's God's vicar, he's infallible. Friend, that can't be true. Joseph, or David Koresh did not have a job before he became a pastor. He had money issues. He was obsessed with religious apocalyptic teaching of the Seventh-day Adventists. He changed his name. Not sinful, of course, but you've got to wonder why he's doing that. He was always looking, they said, for the next big thing that would shock people into listening for him. He wanted the people to wear religious garb. He also asked all the married couples as part of his religion to embrace celibacy, that they would live as brothers and sisters, a weird concept. He also had personal moral problems. Now, friends, we're sitting there, and if you're listening to all these things, you're saying, man, that guy's out to lunch. Well, you know, they're persuasive, but God says, look at their fruit. Unless what they say squares with the, the birth, the life, the the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ as validated in the Old Testament, as celebrated in the New Testament, they are to be avoided. God said, just walk away. That, folks, the, the light has come on. The idiot light came on. Let's not, let's not just keep driving. Let's pull over and be cautious. The fruit of their deeds, what are they like? Then the fruit of their doctrine, their actual teaching. They don't waffle on any major doctrine. Now, there, are, there is minor doctrine in the Bible. For example, I'm a firm believer that the New Testament church uh, was founded by Jesus during the time of his earthly ministry. But some people feel like the church began on the day of Pentecost. You know what? That's a minor doctrine, and I'm not going to fight about it as long as you don't think that that means there was some new dispensation at the day of Pentecost. Martin Luther said it this way. In essentials, unity. Non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. False prophets and false teaching will go wrong. But more importantly, maybe it's not what they actually say, but in many cases what they don't say. Do they give the whole counsel of God? Now, that doesn't mean we have to give everything we know about things the moment we tell somebody. The book of Hebrews said some people need milk for a while, then they get meat a little bit later. But we shouldn't be afraid to give them the meat. And that's what Paul said in Acts chapter 20 and verse 27. He told his fellow colleagues, his fellow shepherds in the Lord, he said, I have not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. The business of a man of God, a minister of God, a prophet of God, is to give the whole counsel of God as it is revealed in Scripture. Certainly not anymore but absolutely not any less. Methodically, precept upon precept, we should never shun to preach doctrines that will drive heretics crazy, stir the pot on the apostates, or displease the deceivers. If you do that, that means you probably won't be loved always. Jesus said true teachers will probably be hated. Look what he said in Luke chapter 6 and verse 26. Thankfully, mercifully, Jesus gives us a heads up. He said, the strange thing is you're going to be a Bible teacher and some people aren't going to like that. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. If everybody speaks well of you, not good. For their fathers treated the false prophets that way. False prophets, they, oh, you did such a great, everything's good. Happy feelings, everything's cool, wonderful. Folks, if it's always that way, we, it's the time to run. There is a wolf in the chicken coop. You need to make sure, say, no, you know that. A person who preaches the word of God of necessity is going to come across uh, sometimes some difficult moments. One of my favorite, in fact, I would say it's my favorite poem. is called The Bridge Builder. And it speaks of the fact that when we preach, we're doing it for others. When we preach the word of God, listen to it. An old man going a lone highway came at the evening cold and gray to a chasm vast and deep and wide through which was flowing a sullen tide. The old man crossed in the twilight dim 
The sullen stream had no fear for him, but he turned when safe on the other side and built a bridge to span the tide. Old man, said a fellow pilgrim near, you're wasting your strength building here. Your journey will end with ending day. You'll never again pass this way. You've crossed the chasm deep and wide. Why build you this bridge at eventide? The builder lifted his old gray head. Good friend, in the path I have come, he said, there falls after me today a youth whose feet must pass this way. And this chasm that has been not to me, to that fair-haired youth may a pitfall be. He too must cross in the twilight dim. Good friend, I am building this bridge for him. And so my friend, a teacher of the word of God will take the hits because he's thinking of the next generation. The fruit of their deeds, the fruit of their doctrine, and finally the fruit of their disciple. Look at the lives of their followers over the long haul. Look at verse 17. Every good tree brings forth good fruit. Corrupt trees just bring forth evil fruit. Good trees cannot bring forth evil fruit. Not that they can't have problems once in a while, but over the long haul, day after day, you're going to see good fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Perhaps the best commentary on this passage is 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. John said this, he said, And the children of God are manifest. In this, the children of God are manifest. It's obvious. And who's the children of the devil? Whosoever does not or practices righteousness is not of God. I mean, it's very clear. John Wesley warned what one generation tolerates, the next generation will embrace. And I will tell you, uh, for example, we uh, have been told that uh, we should be good stewards of the earth, and we would agree with that. But somehow it seems like uh, our generation is more and more accepting the uh, love the earth uh, at any cost kind of concept. And now the next generation is actually buying into the, to the point, for example, you may not know this, but now there is even such a thing called a green Bible. You can buy it. I got a little picture of it here, there, but it is printed on recycled paper using soy-based ink. And what they uh, say is that we have taken uh, the things of the environment and then uh, the true things about the environment, and then compared it with Scripture. Well, I'm afraid at times they are too big on the environment and too little on God. The fact of the matter is, uh, these are often marked by extremism and humanism. We are told by Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Prove all things. Prove all things. That means, does it pass the smell test? You're a mom, you go into your child's room, and the room's a little messy, and they have off to school, and so you're going to pick up some of the stuff, and you're kind of wondering, should I go to the laundry or not? And so you don't want to unnecessarily, you know, wash things. And so you pick up that off the ground, and you smell it. That little shirt there, you know, and you, does it pass the smell test? Well, that's proving all things. Does it pass the smell test? If it's scriptural, Psalm 19 says the word of God is pure. Then John said, test the spirits. 1 John 4 and verse 1. Try the spirits. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try them to see if they're of God. Are we supposed to give a quiz to the demons? <laughs> no. What it's saying is, is that we should test the doctrine. In the following verses, he gives two tests. Number one, is it biblical? That is, does it square with all of the Bible, not just some cherry-picked verses? And number two, is it Christological? Meaning, does it honor Jesus? Is it pointing to Jesus or Joseph Smith? Jesus or the Pope? Who is it pointing to? And so is it square with all of the Bible? Or is it just, uh, and is it Christological? Well, there is a final point and we hasten, a consummation to believe. Number one, a caution to beware, see them. A consideration to behold, 
know them, thank God we can, and finally, it all's going to come to a consummation. Believe it. We should pity them. Look what it says in verse 19. Every tree, all trees without exception, ultimately, sooner or later, will suffer consequences for their bad deeds. Here we see the powerful prophet John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 10, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 3 and verse 10. He said, the axe will, will be laid to the root of the trees. They will be cut down. And I don't want to be anywhere near those false prophets when they're cut down. The fact of the matter is, God is warning us. He's saying, if they're going to be cut down, don't be anywhere near them. Don't let your family near them because you might get caught up in that cutting. You might get caught up in that burning. Run! If you're in one of those false churches, grab your family and run. Get out of there. God said because they're going to pay a price. Maybe sooner, but certainly later. We had an <clears throat> ironic event happen last Sunday. We were, as I was preparing for the message, uh, and uh, of course we talked about false prophets being wolves. Well, last Sunday morning, my son-in-law, Seth, uh, had had enough. Some creature who uh, he knew wasn't good was, chick uh, was killing the chickens in his rural lot out there. And his children were often out there. He knew that it could be dangerous. And so last Sunday morning, Seth Matchek got his revolver. I don't know what it was, a 9mm or something. He goes out there in his pajamas, crouches out there, and waits for whatever that creature is that was killing his chickens and threatening his family. And he saw it. And he squatted down there, and he shot that thing. And then he went over there. It was a wolf. And he sent me the picture. There it is. Last Sunday morning while I was preaching about wolves, that wolf tried to get his chickens and, and did get a chicken, but he won't get them anymore. Now folks, my point is, a good shepherd, a good parent, does not want the wolves to get his family. We should be careful. Obey the warning of God. Beware. When you see a sign, be sensitized. Beware. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed here this morning. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.